0: Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome back to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at TumbleDye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to empower both players and game masters to level up the action, drama, and believability in their tabletop games. You can find out more at www.tumbledie.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter at TumbleDie, or Instagram. So I have just two quick announcements for today. First, we're streaming live Trove playtesting every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're exploring a brand new sci-fi universe developed by yours truly, and it's been great fun so far. Our channel is twitchtv games. If you're not able to join us live, but are interested in how Trove is played, the stream is archived on our YouTube channel. Just search for TumbleDie Games, and the channel comes right up. To everyone out there listening, thank you. We'd love to hear from you, whether a review on your favorite podcast platform, a Facebook comment, a tweet, whatever. I really love hosting and recording this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Thanks. This week, I'm very pleased to bring you an interview with independent author Justin Lee Anderson. His book, The Lost War, is available on Kindle, Audible, and Kindle Unlimited. I read this book in the last week of May, and after both thoroughly enjoying the novel and reading in his author's note that it had grown out of an RPG session, I knew I needed to speak with him. If you're a fan of the fantasy genre, I really recommend you pick this one up. It is excellent. Our goal at TumbleDye is the union of story and games, and talking with Justin about walking that line was really fascinating. Justin and I spoke on June 3rd, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Here's the interview. Justin, it is a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you for coming on Thread Dice. I just finished reading The Lost War last week. Picked it up on Kindle Unlimited from a front-page recommendation. Uh, I'm a Mark Lawrence and Joe Abercrombie fan, which I figure is why it sent your book my way. Okay. One thing I've done ever since I was really young reading books was that I read the author's notes at the back. Um, I started reading Piers Anthony when I was young, and his author's notes were always full of drama and sometimes more than the book. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so... (laughs) I keep up that habit now, and when I noticed that you mention in your note that The Lost War started or is related to an RPG session of some kind, and that some or all of those characters may have actually belonged to your friends, um, would you mind telling us about that? Yeah, gladly. So,
1: um, yes, most of, the, most of the main characters, certainly all of the, the point of view characters and some more started out as characters that were role played by um, friends and I over the course of I mean these characters lasted at least I reckon five years maybe as long as 10 although that might be stretching it Um, but we we tended to play very sort of semi-regularly there's a group of uh well there was originally a group of sort of five or six of us and then uh some of the kids actually got old enough that we let them start playing um, and, and people came in and out of the games and a couple of characters got killed off and had to be replaced for the players. So there's wow. probably, I mean, if I think there's, there's what, there's, so Aranok, Alandria, Neria, Glorbad, Samali, Fastin, Morien, and Meristar. There you go. That's eight, eight of the main characters. Wow. Um, were originally characters who were role-played. And I loved them, and we, and we had them for so long, um, particularly my character, Aranok, who's the, the main character, and um, Alandria, who's his, uh, who's his sort of uh, right-hand woman. Um, that was my wife's character. And, um, and those two characters survived the whole, you know, right from the beginning to the end of when we stopped playing that particular game. So they were like real people to me. I'd known them for a long time. and Sure. They, I really liked them as characters, and I just thought I'd love to write something with these characters. I'd love to really do something more and give them, you know, more of a world to explore and do something, you know, major with them. So I kind of spoke to, I spoke first to the GM, our, my friend Sean, um, you know, if it would be all right with him, and kind of told the other guys I was thinking of doing this. Um, and they were all really pleased with the idea. They thought it was really cool. And so, yeah, that's then... What what happened later was I had I had two other ideas. I had an idea for a setting, which was essentially a, a sort of pseudo-medieval fantasy setting based on Edinburgh, my hometown. And I had an idea for a storyline that was kind of based around political allegory. And, um, and I realized all these three things fit together. And so I, I pulled them together and they became The Lost War.
0: It is not always easy to make that jump. And so... I'm really curious to ask you about that. Do you mind if I ask real quick what game system that was running for all those years? We swapped actually several times
1: <laughs> while kidding. we were playing.
0: So we played between um, AD&D
1: and Fantasy Hero. We swapped between those two different systems. Um, we Most of it, I think we played most of it on Fantasy Hero, but we, we played it on AD&D for a while. Mostly because Sean got a little bit bored and wanted to change things up a bit.
0: <laughs> I understand. As a longtime GM myself, I have that uh, problem of system hopping. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always been searching for the exact right system and haven't found it yet. So There you go. And and, and
1: he likes to change systems every now and again as well. And um, we're he's actually working on setting up a, a new game for us at the moment that we're talking about playing online while we're all stuck at home. So um, sure. I have no idea what system that's going to be. And we'll see what he comes up with.
0: <laughs> Something novel, I'm sure. So the Lost War is just steeped in Gaelic terminology and mythology, which I thought was pretty cool for gaming-inspired fantasy, especially. So it mm-hmm. sounds like, from what you're saying, that wasn't part of the original game, but something that you kind of transported these characters into after the fact.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, the 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 setting that we played in was essentially a kind of you know pseudo-medieval fantasy um, setting. Um, and we went th- we went through everything from, you know, we we had uh, we had dungeon crawls to, um, you know, exploring the wilderness to taking on a, a an evil necromancer in a mountain. You know, we had all the kind of the standard adventures that you do. And it was a great fight. Um, but uh, but no, the setting was very much a separate thing that wasn't part of the game. I, w- I wanted to do something where I created a, a, a location. It started out as being about basing on the etymology of um, Edinburgh's place names, because a lot of them are really interesting and have a really interesting history. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to play with that a little bit. And then also, I know a fair bit of I used to do a a guidebook to Edinburgh Oh, cool! in a previous life. And so I know a fair (laughs) bit of the sort of mythology and um, history of Edinburgh as well. And there's some really interesting sort of, you know, twisted tales and things in there, which also influenced it. It's kind of become a setting based on Edinburgh's history, etymology and
0: mythology. That's really cool. And I'm a sort of an amateur linguist. And so it was really cool to see all of that threaded through it. And because I find, you know, the the relationship between Gaelic and English very interesting. So it was cool to see all of that threaded through. That came from a
1: um, a thread or something that I read. I can't remember what it was. But while I was writing the book, somebody posted somewhere on social media and said, you know, I'm so tired of people who just default to um, Latin. For magic and people just don't think <laughs> about them. They just do these really boring, stale magic systems that like, you know, everybody does that. And I was like, that's a really good point. This is quite a Scottish yeah. book. What can I do with that? And, and I thought, wow well, I'll do Scots Gaelic instead. And Scots Gaelic can be the language of the of the magic users in this book. Um, which is why, uh, you know, dry is the is the Gaelic word essentially for druid wizard, basically. Right. Um, and uh, and that's where that terminology came from. And then all the magical terminology in it, you know, came from that. I had to quite a bit of research because if you don't I mean, I, I don't speak Gaelic myself. Um, and I had to do quite a bit of research because it's really easy to pick a word that seems to mean what you think it means and then have a Gaelic speaker go, Yeah, no, that's that's completely wrong in context. That's, that's not <laughs> what that means. That's not actually that's what the that wrong means. Concept. You know, that's not, that's not <laughs> what you're looking for. So I had to do a fair bit of research to get that right. But I, I think from having spoken to a couple of Gaelic speakers who've read the book, I think I, I didn't make any major glaring errors with it.
0: That's fantastic. So, uh, and actually, on that, uh, about the magic system. So that sort of talent spheres, where where everybody has one and not more than one, Mm -hmm. isn't something I recognize as having seen before. And so it sounds like that must have been part of your world building process.
1: Um, It's interesting. So um, my my thinking on that, well, I mean, it was a lot of it was inspired by the sort of systems that we use to create the characters. I'm one for always playing magic characters. I love playing magic users, and I I tend Mm -hmm. to like, um, you know, during during battles, I like to take a kind of an overview of the fight and try and see what I can do from a a grand scale instead of, I'm I'm not the one to go in and take somebody on -on one-on-one basically. Sure, Uh, sure. because I'll usually die because I've got no armor, (laughs) Um, but but, uh, I tend to play magic characters a lot. And so, um, and the way, you know, you create these characters, you do tend to have sort of groups of skills in some way. And I thought, well, it'd be interesting if that was a, if that was a thing that, you know, people actually have, um, one skill that they they are particularly skilled with. And then they can do other things. You know, they can all do different things within their skills, but there's only particularly one natural talent that comes to somebody who is born with the ability to use magic. And I thought that would be just just fun to do and interesting to play with. And also to create the system in such a way that they don't actually know everything that people can do. There's they're still learning about it. You know, there right. are still some there are still some hypothesized magics that you know some people claim to have seen some people uh have read about you know that that may or may not have existed somewhere in the past it's not something they know everything about it's kind of i suppose in a way i haven't thought about this before i suppose it's kind of like science in that there's so much they know and have defined but actually they also know there's a lot they don't necessarily know there could be abilities out there that they don't understand or that they just haven't classified yet
0: Right exactly, and the, and I feel like you got that across pretty well that there's there's just not a full understanding of a magic system, which is I think another thing that I don't see very often, generally speaking, it seems like magic is communicated a lot like science in books these days, where it is it mm-hmm. is a fully explored profession and and all of all of the limitations are understood, and so it was mm-hmm. nice to see that there was some mystery left in yours. <laughs> I really like yeah. that a lot, Robert, great
1: I, I mean as as I say. Never having thought of this comparison before, though, I mean, I suppose to be truly warlike science, I mean, there, there would be this sort of acceptance of there's
0: stuff we don't know yet and that we don't understand yet. And we know there's right. more out there. So, Right, exactly. So um, about the character specifically, I've, mm-hmm. I felt like as soon as I picked up the book the, and the moment Alandria came on screen, which is, of course, I don't know, the second or third page, I was like, this character may have been an elf at some point.
1: <laughs> she was. <laughs>
0: she <laughs> I absolutely so. was yes he was and when and when glorbad came on screen i was like this guy was a dwarf (laughs) yes he was (laughs) you're absolutely right he was i've been uh, as you might be able to tell i've been playing rpgs for a long time so um to to see them and to recognize the archetypes but have them altered was really neat and i like that a lot to have them interpreted as you know humans in this setting that you'd created um but to be able to clearly see their rpg roots was really neat
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, they were that, you're absolutely right. I, and I made I made the decision that I wanted to keep to human characters in this. I wanted I, I wanted to go a more sort of low fantasy route with it and keep it to keep it to human characters. But yes, you're absolutely right. I mean Alandria, Alandria was an elf, um, and Glorbad was a dwarf. And um I'm trying to think of the other way. I think most of the other characters were human. Um were any of them not human? I don't think so. I think the other I think the other characters were humans, but those two
0: specifically, yes, you're absolutely right. Interesting. Um, And so you mentioned that you played a lot of this in Fantasy Hero, and that's actually not a system I'm familiar with. Okay. Is it like a really complex one, or is it more of a rules light? Do you know, um, I'm the wrong person to ask, because uh, our GM, our
1: GM leads us by the hand very gently through all this stuff. What I can tell you is it's a, it's a D6 only game and you basically okay. do everything with D6. Most of what you do is, is rolling 3D6 um, and okay. you, roll, you roll attack rolls, you roll magic rolls, you know, but, it, but it's all just 3D6. And the only time you tend to roll more than 3D6 is if you are rolling for um, damage or if you're rolling for like, a, you know, a mental attack or something and you get more than three. But, but basically the standard is it's a 3D6 kind of system.
0: Interesting. Okay. I'll have to do some research into that. So as far as picking up characters that belong to your friends and molding them to fit the story that you wanted to tell, what was that process like building this the story from pieces that existed and new things you had to create out of whole cloth?
1: There was a there was a real moment where I had to stop and disassociate the characters from the players. Mm. because i was uh, you know i was thinking about things i wanted to do with the storyline and therefore what the characters were going to have to do and and i was really associating them with their players and i was like oh no i can't have her she'd never do that no that's not and i was just like no wait this is not her (laughs) this is not i actually have to step away from this and, and say okay now that these characters you know are mine to play with as such I need to step away from defining them the way they, their players necessarily define them. And, you know, I can change them. I can do different things with them. And as soon as I did that, it really freed me up in a lot of ways to kind of do more with them than I would have done originally. But, but I, had to, I had to recognize that it was, it was a subconscious thing that I was limiting what I was prepared to do with the characters and how I was prepared to have their relationships develop and interact and so on because I had associated them so much with uh, their previous incarnations and their players. So yeah, that was a, that was something I had to overcome. And I also had to um, get away, I suppose, from the, the idea of who they had been before as well. You know, the the kind of, I I had that history in my head of the essentially who these characters were, how they tended to behave. I had to kind of unlearn all of that and recreate them from not so not from the ground up because I had a, I had a basis of, you know, what kind of person they were and what kind of abilities they had and, you know, what their backgrounds were. But uh, but I had to make sure that that was, you know, what I wanted them to be rather than what I was kind of bringing with them.
0: Right. And because they became dissociated from their actual history, I imagine that that took a lot of it as well. You had to kind of create new backgrounds for these characters that tracked with their previous experiences so that their personalities were roughly correct. Yep yeah exactly completely betraying the concept of the character
1: yeah i mean i can i can remember the day that i literally um sat down with a notebook and was like right i need to i need to get this out of my head my, i drive my wife nuts because i keep so much in my head and don't write stuff down Sure. It's like, right, I've got to get this out of my head and write down the backstories for these characters. So for every one of the main characters, especially the point of view characters, but, but the other ones as well, um, I sat and wrote like two pages of A4 of their backstory and just like <laughs> defined it all really clearly. And that was actually really helpful because in particular, um, there was a couple of characters, Nuria in particular, I felt like I didn't have a clear enough picture of her and who she was mm-hmm. and therefore her voice was not as clear to me. And once I sat and wrote down her backstory and worked out who she was and what, you know, had happened to her and where she'd come from, I actually went back and rewrote quite a few of her, in fact, I think I rewrote all of her point of view scenes, or at least heavily edited them, to completely change her voice. Originally, her voice was far too similar to Alandria's, and I had to Mm -hmm. go back and really think of it again from her perspective of her as a character and get her
0: voice coming across instead. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So, I very much do not want to spoil the book for my listeners, because it has a super killer twist that I felt uh, was really well-earned without being clearly telegraphed, which is not an easy thing to pull off. Um, <laughs> I've written a few novels in the past myself, and so I kind of have to ask a craft question. Did you work backward from your ending? Do you have a very thorough outline process, or are you just really good at revision?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, so, the ending was my premise. Okay. The ending was my idea of I want to write a story where this is what's going on. And so everything else was working towards that ending, basically. So what I what I did was I started with that as the premise. I knew where I was going to begin the story. And I had I had kind of waypoints I knew I needed to hit along the way. So I had, you know, I was like, okay, they're going to go here, and this is going to happen. And then this needs to happen over here and this needs to happen, and then I'll reveal this, but not anything in between. So I'm not somebody who sits down and outlines chapter by chapter or anything like that. Sure. It really is more a case of, I know where we're going at this point, and then I know where the next stop is. And sometimes that didn't work out. Sometimes it was like, oh, wait, no, this doesn't make as much sense. I'm going to go this way <laughs> with this instead. Right. Um, but, uh, but no, I very much do not sit down and outline heavily. I mean, for my first novel, I wrote the whole thing without any kind of an outline. For this one, I had to do much more because I knew where it ended. And because I knew what was running through it, it required more planning because I had to, I had to be very careful to seed what was happening throughout the book, right. but not give it away, but not give it away. That was the important thing for me. The way a twist works is if you don't see it coming, but you can look back and see it. Right. And I think that's the way that's the way that a twist works. I think if you if you give too much if you give too many clues and you give it away and somebody gets it before the twist, it's not as powerful, I think. I mean you you might get the whole thing and go, Oh I'm really cool. I worked this out, I feel really good about myself. I think right. a twist that you just don't see coming, but that makes perfect sense in retrospect is is more powerful, I think.
0: I completely agree. And the the sense of unease that you threaded throughout the entire book, I think was what had me, I got to about 90%, and I was sweating bullets <laughs> trying to figure out what was coming. And uh, it, it, it did, in fact, take me completely by surprise. But, like you said, the minute I hit it, and again, reader, uh, listeners, go read the book, please. But uh, the moment I hit it, everything made sense. And I was, that's actually what pushed me to reach out to you because that is so rare and I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. That's 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 extremely satisfying. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, as far as your gaming history goes, you you mentioned mm-hmm. that you had played these characters for a very long time, which I think is longer than I've ever held on to a single character in my <clears throat> 30-ish years of <laughs> of <laughs> this. So, these days, what is do you have any idea what your GM's going to lead you into next or
1: um it's funny we've had a so he's out of mostly him wanting to do something different which is totally fair i mean if he's making all these stories i can totally understand why he wants to do something a bit different so we've been off on a few different um styles of adventure we did a kind of we did a kind of arabian one for a while oh cool with sort of gin and that sort of stuff and then we were doing a a uh sci-fi one we were doing a kind of a um space smugglers kind of uh thing but it turns out that what we discovered is that our party is not very good without direction Mm -hmm. not very good at finding our way into storylines and adventures without a little bit of you know hand holding and leading us towards where we're supposed to point our swords or our guns or whatever we're having to carry um (laughs) so uh so funnily enough um i i think what he's doing next is taking us back for the first time in a while to uh fantasy adventure setting i'm also playing another um one of the first times in a long time i've played with another gm i'm playing with um an author friend of mine ian grant is a uh, gm in an online game which i'm playing with him and some friends and that's uh another sort of pseudo medieval one which is um i don't know why that's such a comfortable setting to default to but it it just feels it feels to me like the natural setting for any kind of rpg
0: yeah I feel the same way about it. It's just it's just where you settle. Like it it feels yeah. like an old sock or something. It's just Yeah. It's just yeah. comfortable.
1: And I, I don't know if it's because there's I don't know if it's because of the potential of the world or the limitations of the world. I'm not sure, but it just it it feels like the right place to be for that kind of game. And and we all know what we're doing and we all know what we can do and you know, we know right. things like we know what we have to roll for. We have to roll an attack roll. We have to roll a magic roll. You know, we have to roll for, a, uh, you know, an, an acrobatics roll to avoid falling in a pit. You know, we right. kind of we kind of know what's happening with those. Whereas with the other games, I think we were kind of, a, we were probably having to constantly ask questions of what do I what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I
0: do? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And having having run some sci-fi games in recent history, I have run into that same thing where it just feels like. Because you have to manufacture more of the world out of whole cloth. With, with fantasy tropes, you have a set of assumptions. They're, you know, you're on the ground, and there are things below ground, and everybody kind of understands the physics. And when you sure. go to sci-fi, so much more is A, possible, but B, has to be invented. Unless you're going to play in, say, Star Wars, where everybody mm-hmm. understands what's going on. If you're yes. trying to create a new sci-fi universe, there's a much higher baseline for understanding, I think
1: yes got you yes you're absolutely right and do you know one of the funny things about playing the sci-fi game was i'm so used to in in the sort of fantasy style um settings i'm so used to not being able to communicate with people over distance you know you you, like (laughs) oh they don't know that and so we were in the sci-fi game and i was like right okay is there any way like one of the characters had a a a short-range psychic ability and i was like okay can we communicate um with them via her like, how far apart can we get and still be able to communicate with her psychic ability and our gym was like you all have computers in your pockets <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you can talk to each other wherever you are and I was like yes.
0: oh right yeah yeah I thought of that. cool <laughs> and I I found that running those games it made things a lot more complicated because there was no such thing as limited information anymore. Everyone was in cool. contact at all times. Even if you split them up they still know what's happening. Yes, absolutely. It 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 robbed it a bit of the mystery that I like in games. So uh... <laughs> it's funny. I was talking about this. Um, uh, what was it? I think it was for the it was for Chimera
1: panel that's uh, that we recorded that, that's I think comes out on Saturday as part of the Chimera Festival. And I was talking about it with a couple of other authors, and we were we were talking about you know why. What makes fantasy? What is a fantasy setting? And one of the things we talked about was the the limitations of it. And one of those limitations is the inability to pull a phone out of your pocket and just call somebody and say, because it can get you out of so many holes that you can put your characters in. If they can just phone somebody and say, Hey, this, I need to give you this information. And right. You know, that's, that's why I was saying, that's why you see so many, you see in so many like, you know, TV dramas and stuff. One of the first things people do when they're in a hole of some kind is they go, oh, wait, I've got no phone signal. Have you got any phone signal? <laughs> no, I've got no phone signal. Because we have to establish that we can't easily solve this problem with our phones. Right, exactly. They're kind of a, they're a storytelling difficulty in some ways, because it makes it harder to put your characters in trouble if they can just phone somebody.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> That's really funny. I've, I've, I'm glad to hear that someone else is having that same experience. Yep. So do you have a preferred game system after playing for, you know, 10 years with the same characters? Have you run into one that really speaks to you or are they all just kind of facilitating the story? Um, I think, I mean, probably playing the fantasy hero, I think is probably just
1: familiar, but mm-hmm. um, I quite like the uh, the AD&D setup as well. It was fun where we had, we had all the D20 and all the different kinds of dice. That was fun, too. Um, I don't know that I have a preferred system. I think I think it is mostly about facilitating what we're doing. The online one I'm playing fortnightly at the moment um, with Ian and the other guys is a similar kind of system. It it's called um, I want to say it's just called roll d6. I think it's a hmm, really simple system, and it is basically a case of three again three d6 is what you're aiming for. And the better your character gets, the more dice you can roll. But you only ever count the best three. So you know you can maybe roll. You can maybe roll at somewhat ten d six, and you count the three best. Right. But of course, the more you roll, the better chance you have of getting a a higher roll. But your your max roll is always eighteen, basically. Um,
0: ah, that's fascinating.
1: And um, and that's a that's a really quite straightforward system. Really, it's pretty simple. But again, I have to say, Sean has historically led us by the hand to a great extent on these kind of things, you know, so we're like, okay, I want to do this. What do I need to do? And I'll go, okay, first of all, roll 3d6 for your attack roll. Okay. Now, right. Now roll your magic roll. Now roll your, now roll your damage. How many dice is that? You know, it's just like, he's very kind. And it's similar with character creation. I have to say he has tended to very much kind of like, okay, what kind of character do you want? What kind of things do you want to be able to do? Here's a spell list. Right. Pick your spells. I'm going to limit you in this way, and uh, it's funny actually. Aronok, sure. um, by the point where we stopped playing the characters, I had Aronok at the point where he had um, he had uh, telekinesis, invisibility, and a cloak of flight, and so it became a running joke that the minute any battle started, I disappeared and took <laughs> off and fought from the sky right. invisibly. And he was just like, no, this is, no, (laughs) you're too powerful. Nobody can hit you. You disappear the minute
0: danger shows up. It's like, this is not okay. Right.
1: But it's really cool.
0: Right, right. Exactly. It makes me feel cool. So, you know, be careful what you take away. Exactly. (laughs) But I I think I've reached the point where he was like, no, I'm taking, and I think I actually, I,
1: I can't remember what happened, but I lost my cloak of flight so that at least I could take off. Um, I could still turn invisible, but I couldn't take <laughs> off anymore. It's just like, no, we're not, we're not having you fighting from a position where nobody can hit you because nobody can find you.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and so I know that right now, I think you're working on a follow-up to Carpet Diem. Is that right? Uh,
1: that was what I was working on um, until, uh, to be honest, until the lockdown started and I found that, um, I think, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people, I just was under so much stress that I just mm. couldn't Access comedy at all. I was, I was, I was working on oh. it, but it was really like pulling teeth, and I just couldn't get into the headset or sorry, the mindset of writing comedy. It's, it's a particular, it's a particular mindset I need to be in to write in that world. It's quite kind of frivolous and and, and silly, and I just couldn't access that at all with everything that that's going on. We're our whole family are sure. um are shielding because our daughter's asthmatic. All of us are completely in the house, you know all the time we don't go out for walks or anything um so you know the stress when it particularly when the lockdown first came in the first sort of few weeks of making sure we hadn't picked it up prior to that i just found it too stressful and i couldn't do it um and so i i made the choice very reluctantly because i've done this before i I actually started writing the carpet DM sequel and left it to write the lost war because the lost war was kind Mm -hmm. of screaming at me in my head to be written sure and i had said to to readers of carpet DM, you know i I will definitely come back to this i promise i will come back to this and i fully intended to but i just couldn't do it and i I reluctantly had to decide okay i might be better off just moving on to the second eden book and writing the sequel to the lost war instead um and that is going much better and i'm finding that much easier to do because i'm not trying to be funny it's a darker book it's a more serious book it has some humor in the interactions between the characters of course but it's not a comedy book by any stretch. And therefore, um, it doesn't matter if I can't, you know, access funny on a particular day. And it's working out much better. Um, I'm nearly I'm just under 40,000 words into that now, I think. So I'm hoping um, fantastic, on the assumption that it'll be roughly the same length as The Lost War, which is just over 150 K. I'm hoping that it might be out early next year by the time I get it finished and, and edited and everything.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I ha- I haven't read Carpet DM yet, but it's on my short list of uh books to pick up. Cool. So I'm looking forward to a, a little bit of levity, but uh definitely I, I I can't say I'm sorry to hear that you're working on this the follow up to, to The Lost War because <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to more of that. Thank you. Absolutely. And as far as um as far as inspirations go, you know, y- you don't get to be that good at writing uh We don't even get to be competent writing without reading a lot. So who do you count among your inspirations from an author perspective?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so um, lots, lots and lots and lots. So uh, like you, I grew up reading Piers Anthony. um, And the first first sort of fantasy book, other than, I think I I read Narnia when I was about 10. I think I read Mm -hmm. like three or four of the Narnia books, and I really enjoyed them. But uh, the first sort of proper... um, I do Not not that Darnia is not proper fantasy, but the first sort of sure, sure. fantasy book that I can remember picking up um, was uh, about 12 years old. I came across A Spell for Chameleon, the first of the Xanth novels, <laughs> in my school library, yep. of all places. Um, wow,
0: that's a weird place for that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, and so, which was actually, which was in the States. I actually grew up in the States until I was 14. So oh. it, was in, it was in my, um, I guess it would have been my junior high library at that point. And uh, and I read that and absolutely loved it and then just devoured about the next, I don't know, 10, 15 novels in the Xanth series over the course of a few yep. years. And then went on to sort of Apprentice Adept, Incarnations of Immortality, <laughs> Bio of a Space Tyrant even, is a sure. sci-fi series, um, Tarot, and read that all through my teens. And I also picked up a couple of other guys, like I read a little bit of Terry Brooks some mm-hmm. um Roger Zelazny so those were kind of my my sort of younger reading and then I, I read quite a lot of comics and I had read um as in my sort of late teens I read a lot of Sandman got into Neil Gaiman then when he started writing novels of course I got very much into Neil Gaiman's writing and I, I would definitely say sure. he was a big influence on me um his writing is, a, is has definitely influenced me to a great extent and then the other really big influence in terms of this style of stuff in terms of the lost war style of stuff um was the man who got me back into uh reading the fantasy genre again as an adult was joe abercrombie Mm -hmm. i actually picked up the last argument of kings not realizing it was the third in a trilogy (laughs) oops (laughs) and so got home with it and opened it to read it and was like ah damn (laughs) so i immediately (laughs) ordered the other two because i thought well i've got this one i'll get the other two as well uh, and so I read the whole First Law trilogy. I had all three books, thankfully, mm-hmm. there just to sit and read back to back. And I absolutely adored them, just loved yes. them um, and thought they were amazing. And it got me right back into reading fantasy again. When I'd been reading a lot of crime stuff, I'd been reading stuff like Joe Nesbo and Stig Larson and you know some other stuff like that. Sure, This got me right back into reading fantasy again. And subsequently, I've picked up a lot of the sort of... I, I went on a massive buying spree of like, right, I need to read... <laughs> You know, everything I can get my hands on. So I've picked up some. I have read um, you know, some Mark Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Love Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. I think the the King Killer so far duology, hopefully trilogy. Hopefully
0: trilogy. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it is phenomenal. It's beautifully written. It's just such a great story with a really interesting character. I love Anna Stevens' um Godline trilogy. I think is amazing. I really enjoyed Ed McDonald's Blackwing trilogy. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Who else have I read that I've really enjoyed recently? I quite R.J. Barker, Scott Lynch.
0: Oh, Scott Lynch. Yeah, I love his stuff too.
1: Off the top of my head, that's everything I can think of. But there are there are others as well that I've read recently and been like, oh, there's just so there's so much good stuff coming out from both established and new authors in, in the fantasy genre at the moment. That it's just it's a really exciting. My t- my TBR pile is just so exciting. Every time I finish a book, I'm like, ooh ooh ooh, what am I going to read next?
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. I am. I have been so impressed with how Abercrombie deconstructed D and D fantasy that it, like you, it brought me right back into it after a lot of, a long time. Oh yeah, I
1: loved it. I mean, he's just he's just great, and just I love how real he makes it all feel. Yeah, he really gets you in the scene. You just he's he's one of those writers that you just forget you're reading. Exactly. You know, you're not you're not where you're looking at words on a page. Right. You're just absorbed. Yeah, into what he's doing, it's it's absolutely brilliant. And um, Mark Lawrence, I, I love Mark Lawrence as well. He's um he's do you know about his SPFBO competition that he runs?
0: No, actually, that's that's new to he's me.
1: Really, he's great for he's great supporter of the the um independent author community. He runs a he runs a competition every year called SPFBO, Self Published Fantasy Blog Off. Oh, cool. Um, and basically, three hundred uh indie authors enter their books. And they are divided between ten blogs, and then the blogs review them, rate them, and narrow you know whittle them down and whittle them down over time until right. eventually they come down to ten finalists, and then one eventual winner. Wow! Um, and it's a really great thing that he does for no other reason really than to give a hand up to other fantasy authors. That's really um, cool. That... And it's, it's something I don't I don't know if a lot of people know that that he does that outside of a outside of the kind of blogging community, but yeah, it's a real. It's a great thing that he does.
0: That that is a really great thing, and that's definitely something I need to look into and learn more about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've got actually the, the Lost War is um I've entered the Lost War in it this year, which is why I'm particularly aware of it because it's just it just sure. started on the first of June. Oh, awesome! Um, and the Lost War is in this year, so uh, we'll see we'll see how far it goes if any distance
0: at all. I I hope it does. <laughs> um, if there, if there's anyone I can lean on, not that I really have any you know uh, ability to lean on anyone, but. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Lee Anderson, thank you so much for joining me on Threat Dice. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Our goal at Tumble TumbleDye is to fuse games and stories, and so it's so cool to hear from someone who did just that and you know, actually managed to write a book like that. So I really appreciate your insights.
1: No problem. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: For my listeners, the book is The Lost War. It's available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Please go check it out. It is very much a fantasy novel worth its praise.
1: Hey folks, Kevin here to give a shout out to a friend of the dice. If you've ever wondered what goes into creating a set of custom handmade dice, then we'd like to invite you to visit our friend Andrew Morgan at The Humble Dragon. There you can find a unique collection of gorgeous one-of-a-kind dice boxes and beautiful handcrafted sets of dice. Also, if you need a set of specialty dice for your own game or house rules, then you should definitely reach out to Andrew as we did to have your own custom-faced dice designed and made a reality. Please visit The Humble Dragon on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash
0: The Humble Dragon. Thanks again so much to Justin for joining me. The Lost War is available now on Amazon Kindle, and you ought to read it. You can find Justin on Twitter, at AuthorJLA, and his website is justinleeanderson.com. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond. The interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash Vince V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Special thanks to our guest, Justin Lee Anderson. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Some things have to be done. It's better to do them than to live with the fear of them. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.